0: Good evening, everybody. I'm the announcement guy. Today we're going to have an announcement on First Peter chapter one. Kevin was kind enough to call me earlier today and check on me. <clears throat> he asked me how I was doing and if I was, uh, you know, if I was studying was going well. He asked me if I knew where First Peter was in the Bible. And I, t- I appreciated him for his help. Love you, Kevin. Still my brother, even if. What's that? <laughs> I didn't even check. It looks good enough. There's a bunch of letters up there, so that looks good. It's like half the alphabet, so. Yeah. All right. 1 Peter chapter 1. Finding joy during our times of trials. So there was a boy who stepped into the pastor's office one day. And uh, he looked up on the wall, and he saw a plaque with a series of names on it. The boy asked the pastor, what is that plaque for? And the pastor said, well, those are names of men who died in the service. The boy took a deep breath, stepped back, and he looked concerned. And he stood silently, thinking for about a minute. And then he asked the pastor a question. He said, was that 8.30 or 10.30 service? <laughs> so I was a Christian when I joined the service. Um, I was a Marine for 20 years, and although I was mentally prepared to go to war in the Middle East, I didn't necessarily think about the spiritual war, uh, the one between my flesh and the spirit. And uh, while learning to hook and jab with the nation's finest, uh, I was getting punched in the face by the world, and I didn't really know why. Uh, I must have skipped uh, verses or maybe not understood verses like Ephesians 6.12, where it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual hosts of wickedness in in the heavenly places. After all, I was born again, so why all the struggles, right? Uh, Some were my thoughts, some were brought on by uh, outside things happening. Uh, I thought all my problems would be fixed by Jesus Christ and that he would just put me on the path to success, right? Uh, Any of you ever think that as a young Christian? Maybe I was the only one. After a few cycles of wins and losses, I started to get weary, and I felt like uh, I didn't possess the capability or the energy to succeed spiritually. Uh, Spoiler alert, because I was inadequate. Um, I don't possess the capability to succeed spiritually. Um, Despite being born again, I sometimes felt like a spiritual failure um, and unable to overcome my own sin and unable to adequately deal with situations brought on by others in my life. Maybe I was just a bad apple. Um, I tried hanging in there, but I felt like I was losing my grip at times. Maybe you've been there. All right. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you've never been there. Not to worry, you will be. They're going to come your way. Tonight's passage will help us to understand these trials or hardships uh, with the correct biblical vision, and this passage is not just for extreme Christians who get burned at the stake or beheaded for their faith. Uh, All scripture is for the instruction for all of us. So uh, Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter. Surprise, right? Uh, He was an apostle of Jesus, uh, having personally walked with him for three years he was known for his passion to serve Christ, but he often acted out of his, out of his flesh. Peter was a witness to Jesus' transfiguration. He was part of his inner circle. He walked on the water with Jesus. He chopped off a soldier's ear, and he attempted to, um, in John 18, attempting to defend, that was when he attempted to defend Jesus. Uh, Peter told Jesus he would go to prison and death for him and go to, go to death with him, only to be told that. Uh, He would later deny Jesus three times before the rooster crows the same day. But even Peter, who acted poorly sometimes, was restored to Jesus after denying him and was used in a mighty way. You see, trouble, trials, and persecution in your life doesn't disqualify you. They are what puts you into a position to need to rely on Jesus, which bring you more into his will. They draw you closer to him and ultimately bring him more glory. So bring on the trials, right? Uh, Let's pray as we go into the word. Father God, Lord, we just ask for you to be in this place, uh, that it would be your Holy Spirit uh, speaking th- from your word, Lord, to all of us here today, that the communication would be clear, that we would understand, not just with our minds, but also with our hearts, and just that you would uh, transform us a little bit more into the image of your Son. We love you, and we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's just, let's just dive right in. We're going to start uh, by reading. Peter's greeting in verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. All right. Author, that's Simon Peter. Uh, He refers to his name here as Peter or Petras. It means the rock. And his title, the Apostle, he just keeps it simple and unassuming. Even though Jesus told Peter, you are Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Wouldn't you use that title to establish your superior credibility? Peter uses a humble title. The audience and the situation. So these are churches in Asia Minor, uh, mixed with mostly Gentiles and some Jews. The church was about 35 years old at this point, point. persecution was mounting, and it will take a severe toll on the church over the next few decades. Uh, the reason for this letter, uh, this letter, unlike some of the letters by Paul, it's not necessarily written to a specific church for a very specific reason. Peter provided general spiritual guidance to those who are saved, trying to figure out how to live the Christian life in a broken world. I thought that this letter would be a good one for us here tonight, because there may be a Christian or two here tonight, trying to figure out how to live the Christian life, but having a hard time because the world is broken around you. Um, a similarity between these people and us here tonight is that God will use our hardships to make to make us better. As a young Christian, I was just happy to be saved, and I didn't think much about um, I didn't think that much more work needed to be done in me, um, which the Holy Spirit was and still is working on. Salvation is binary. Uh, sanctification is a process, although the Lord does see sanctification in a past tense as well. So we've already been sanctified, but we're also being sanctified at the same time. So don't try to figure that out too much. <laughs> you and the Holy Spirit both have a role in it, and I think uh, Pastor Mike actually mentioned that just the other day. Um, Peter, he's a fisherman, but yet uh, he wastes no time making several doctrinal, doctrinal statements right off, right off the bat. Uh, We see in this first couple uh, verses here, we see election, uh, where he talks about the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. We see the Trinity. He's speaking of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit here together. We see sanctification, as we just mentioned, and that's the Spirit's job. And we see salvation, the sprinkling of Jesus' blood. So, you know, Peter wasn't just some uh, dumb fisherman. Uh, No matter what your trade or intelligence level is, um, you're able to understand Jesus if you want to. If you seek him, you will find him. And before we go into the next um, section here, I just want to throw a disclaimer out there for the non-Christian, um, whether you're here or, or online. Uh, since this chapter is for the believer, uh, for the unbeliever who's listening, I want to share three verses with you and show why you should consider getting saved right now. First of all, uh, regardless of how unsavable you feel, God himself desires that you will become saved. As it says in 2 Peter three three nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you think it's, uh, your second thing is, is if, it's, if you think it's too late and there has been too much lost time, that's a false idea, too, because God says in the Old Testament that he will redeem even the lost time. After all, he is God. He invented time, right? And Joel 224 it says and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten third and last an unbeliever can become a believer easily to become a believer so the rest of tonight's passage can apply to you too just do what the bible says in romans 10:9 that if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus christ and believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead you will be saved With the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. All right, back to the believer. Let's read through verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away. "'Reserved in heaven for you, "'who are kept by the power of God, "'through faith for salvation, "'ready to be revealed in the last time. "'In this you greatly rejoice, "'though now for a little while, if need be, "'you have been grieved by various trials, "'that the genuineness of your faith, "'being much more precious than gold that perishes, "'though it is tested by fire, "'may be found to praise, honor, and glory "'at the revelation of Jesus Christ, "'whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what, or what manner of time, the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicated when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Wow. There was a lot there, and and there really is a whole lot Um, in this first chapter. I I guess I probably didn't really know how much I bit off, Um, you know, if I could chew it all. But there's a lot in here, and we're definitely going to have to skip over some stuff in order for us to be able to cover a few things. But in this section here, I'm just going to focus on the hope for the believer despite our hardships, okay? Uh, Going back to verse 3, right here, one one thing we see is that Peter gives the glory first and foremost to God as he's getting going. I recently heard a Chuck Smith sermon uh, where he was teaching servants in the church basically explaining how just getting the order wrong can result in unfruitful service. When you put yourself first and the Lord second, as opposed to the Lord first and us second, um, it can mess things up, all right? Um, You know, if God is the horse and we're the cart, we shouldn't get the cart in front of the horse, right? It doesn't work that way. It also speaks of mercy, abundant mercy, uh, which is not getting what we deserve. How about getting abundant grace, which is free gifts rather than the eternal hell that we all deserve, because we all deserve it. In Romans 5.20, it says, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So you can't... um, you can't out Jesus. All right, He's, there's there's plenty of grace. All you got to do is ask for it. Um, moving along to verse four, Jesus used the same language in speaking of heavenly rewards in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, whereas in, here in verse four, he says, "To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you." In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew six nineteen through twenty, he says, Jesus says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. As a matter of fact, Jesus references rewards for the believer a total of nine times in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Um, And I didn't figure that out myself. I stole that from David Guzik. Uh, He also says here that uh, it says David Guzik said that, Uh, It appears that God wants to incentivize us, you know. Um, I know that that isn't something to uh, build your faith completely around, right? Uh, We're not here to earn merit badges, all right? But, um, and I don't have time to do a deep dive on this subject specifically, and I would encourage you to check out David Guzik's YouTube. uh, It's entitled, Our Future Rewards as Believers, and he talks about this subject in depth. But just know this, there are several good reasons why you would want these rewards? Chief of which is because it brings further glory to God, and these heavenly rewards come from how you live your Christian life. After you've been born again, knowing that there is an incentive to living rightly will help bring you into alignment of God's will. As a young Christian, I thought being born again was the end-all, be-all, but uh, there's more, right? Not not more to do for your salvation. You're not going to be um, earning your salvation any more or less, but. Um, but there, there is more, all right? Our job's not done uh, once we become saved. In verse 5, uh, it's, it says here, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so you can be kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. You can have assurance or confidence in your salvation. Why would the scriptures talk about an assurance if it wasn't possible to have? That wouldn't make any sense, Right? Uh, you can have confidence in your salvation. Assurance comes through understanding His work, not ours. In uh, verse four, the phrase "reserved in heaven" is used, and in verse five, "kept by the power of God." Um, Philippians one six states, "Being confident in this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ." In Ephesians two eight through ten. Similarly, it states, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the free gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's about Jesus' work. It's about what he did. It's not what about uh, we did. And one of the things that he's doing is he's working, he's working on us. All of us believers, he's working on us. He's molding us. Verse 6. I would say verse 6 is the key verse for tonight's passage. This is what it says. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Does rejoice and trials belong in the same sentence? That doesn't seem logical, right? Well, uh, stealing from J. Vernon McGee here, he says... The suffering and the security of the believer produce of all things joy. Crazy, right? These trials are only for a little while. Uh, this life is, is but a vapor compared to eternity. And this is your only chance, if you think about it, to bring glory to God through enduring your trials. I would say invest in your future by allowing God to use and I dare say even press into the trials in your life so that He may bring. Whatever it is, whatever the work is, you know he's sanctifying us. Let him let him use you. Don't don't be risk averse. Let the Lord use you through your trials. Again, I'm going to take from J. Vernon McGee here. This is what he says: I know it is not all popular to teach that God will prove us and lead us on to think that there are somebody that that they are somebody important and that they can do great things on their own, my friend. We are nothing until the Spirit of God begins to move in our hearts and lives. We have nothing to offer God. He has everything to offer us. So you can have joy amidst your trials because the Lord's doing a work in us, right? And then to cap it all off at the very end of that verse there, it uses the phrase various trials. So I just want to encourage you that when you get one trial figured out in your life, not to worry, here comes another one of a different type. You're not gonna run out of hardships, okay? But seriously, uh, view them as opportunities for growth rather than weakness. Uh, We have a sign-up sheet in the back if any of you would like to experience more trials. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. God wants to mold you and strengthen you through these trials. All right, verse seven. Our works are going to be passing through a fire. It says here that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our works are going to pass through fire. 1 Corinthians three twelve and 13 says, Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. So this here, it's speaking of the believer's judgment, often called the Bema. And this does not determine salvation, but just rewards. I shouldn't say just rewards, but rewards. The great white throne judgment is for the the unbeliever, and that is where they're sentenced to eternity in hell. Many believers will, will find out at the beam of judgment, that many of their works that they thought were righteous will be found to be burned up, only to to discover that they labored in vain. Don't let that happen to you. Back to exhibit A, the cart and the horse. Keep Jesus in the lead and you'll be fine. Don't get ahead of him. Simple thought. God knows everything that you do and think. Let him catch you doing and thinking the right things. Don't just be scared that he sees you when you do wrong. You know, we were all taught that as kids. But he also knows when you do the right thing. And so, you know, those are things that are lasting. Verse 8. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of joy, I'm sorry, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so... Uh, I also took this from, um, I think this was from Wearsby. Is that how do you practically find the, the joy amidst your hardships? Well, in verses eight and nine, it says that you love Christ, you can believe and, and or tr- well believe and trust in Christ, rejoice in Christ, and receive from Christ. Verses ten through twelve, we're going to see the prophetic word confirmed. No big deal, right, to be able to predict the future? I'm kidding. Um, one of the things that, that our Lord does is he predicts the future accurately. In verses 10 through 12, it tells of some of the things. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, uh, they're two great chapters when speaking of uh, the future Messiah and the salvation that, uh, that he brings with him. The Old Testament foretold about Christ beforehand. There are hundreds of Messianic prophecies. Jesus came to fulfill the law, uh, the Old Testament, as it says in John 1, 16 and 17, and of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through, came through Jesus Christ. So just to recap uh, verses 3 through 12 here, there is joy for the believer that you can have in this lifetime. Um, despite your hardships, despite your trials. I would encourage you not to seek comfort and instead seek what the Lord has for you, kind of like the potter and the clay in Jeremiah 18. We are being molded. God may want to stretch your abilities or your patience. That one's for me. He might want to smooth out some rough spots in your personality. He might want to dig out a root of bitterness you may have with someone. He might want to cut off some sinful behaviors that are causing separation between you and him. Allow him to slowly conform you into the image of his son. So do you want something to do? Great. Verses 13 through 21 will help with that. Let's uh, read verses 13 through 21. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not conforming, to your, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So we see a uh, a hinge point here in verse 13. We've got that word there, therefore. We like to say, what's the word therefore? It's therefore what was before it, right? That's what it's there for. (laughs) What was before it? Well, all those truths that we just went through. Those are things that we should know. Um, In this section here, he's going to tell us that we should be holy. We should do actions. We should take actions for ourselves. He says here, to gird up the loins of your mind. It means, I've heard other people say it like this, roll up the sleeves of your mind. Also, he says, be sober. Think clearly and be on the lookout. 14 through 16, we see these phrases here. uh, Be holy. He says, he says to do something in your conduct. He says, be holy for I am holy, which is a a repeat of the Old Testament here. What is holy? Holy is set apart. Like it says in John fifteen nineteen. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. As a Christian, we are set apart. So I think Peter's just saying we just need to act like it, right? In answering Pilate's question... Uh, if Jesus was the King of the Jews in John eighteen, Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this world again set apart it's not this world is not our this is not, not our final place. this is just a place that we 're passing through as Christians. We are made in the image of God to reflect his image on our lives. Holy living is a reflection, holy means to be set apart, different from the world um, sin is unholy and sin separates us and causes distance from God. All people have an eternal desire to be at peace with God and so our holy conduct closes that distance between us and Him. Now, we can't just just make it happen. We can't just live a holy life. We're still sinners and, and we will be until, until we take our last breath, but God's doing a work in us. And, and I was talking with Tyler right before this and I thought that this was going to be a little easier to to understand or to explain, but I think that there's there's an element of mystery with sanctification here, and that's okay. Uh, You know, we give it the best we can give it, and the Lord works in us at the same time. And through all that, the Lord is doing his thing. And and as I said earlier on, the sanctification is something that even the Lord sees in a past tense kind of a way. So he's working on us. And being holy is something that we should strive for. And again, kind of like I said earlier, um, with the assurance thing, it wouldn't say it if we, if we didn't have the ability to at least take some part in that. Um, God, God allows us to have that peace and joy. If you are distant from God, I would, I would say ask him to bring you closer. But do so without conditions and be ready for discomfort. Gets back to the whole um, sanctification thing. Be ready for some discomfort and um, a calling to live a more holy life. He will pull you in if you ask him to. Verse 17, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Without partiality, um, in your actions, don't be superficial are trying to impress people because God knows when you are. He's the one that knows everything. So if we're going to act a certain way where we're trying to impress people, the only person that we need to be worried about impressing is the Lord. These superficial actions, they're going to get burned up. The genuine actions, those are the ones that withstand the fire. And then at the end here it says fear. I would say have a healthy fear. Let that fear drive you closer to the Lord. And then in 18 through 21, um, I think that it's kind of like a a gospel message right here. I'm just going to reread it. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So God did the work, the salvation, and God is also doing the work, the sanctification. So let him do it. All right, let's read these last three verses, 22 through 25. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flowers fall away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the Lord which by the gospel was preached to you. And so first thing I notice here is that we shift from the holy conduct where we're focused on how we need to to be living and how we need to be acting, and then we focus here in verse 22, he says love. He says to love one another. And that's something where, that's uh, that's how we're connected and integrated to other people. So we go from focusing on uh, what we've got to work on within ourselves, um, and and the Holy Spirit working on ourselves to us relating to other people, Jesus says here: If you, Jesus says, if you love Him, to keep His commandments in John fourteen fifteen, and the chapter before that, He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And so, if we truly love Jesus and Christians love Jesus, we want to do what he asked us to do. He says if we love him, to keep his commandments, and the commandment that he gives us is to love one another. So we can't have um, animosity, you know, roots of bitterness between each other. We need to uh, clear those things out, right? We need to get forgiveness for those things. And so then the last couple of verses here, we focus on the word, uh, and also, I would say, it's also a focus on how fleeting this life really, truly is. Everybody knows, you know, you know, they say uh, only two things in life are guaranteed, and that's taxes and death, unless you unless you get the rapture. That's the plan that I subscribe for. But um, but this world is fleeting. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flowers of the grass. The grass withers, and its flowers fall away. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and our souls endure forever. We've, we're going to have to... Um, we've got decisions to make. Now, as Christians, you know, the decision's been made, thank God, and he's, he's called us to be a part of his family. But there are others. There are others that, that we would love to take to heaven with us, right? And um, they might want to invest in this life and have the greatest life now that they can, but this life is going to be fleeting. I mean, even they know it. You know, nobody lives forever um, in in this body. So... I would say that they should invest in the thing that will carry them through eternity, and that is invest in Jesus Christ. But it also talks about the Word here. So the Word, the Bible, 6,000 years in counting, Jesus is the Word. There is truth, and that means absolute truth, not relative truth. Learn it and do it. I mean... After all, you're saved. What else are you going to do with your life, right? All right. So like the clay, um, letting the potter stretch us, cut pieces off of us, and work on us, it is painful, but he knows what he is doing, and he will be faithful to complete the work in us that he started. He is using our experiences to conform us into the image of his son. Let's yield to him, and let's let the master do his work. Look at what he did with Peter. Uh, I call it foot and mouth disease that he had, where he, he would often say things that he probably shouldn't have said before thinking about it. But who was Peter? He became the church planner of the church, right? And so God can do a work like that through Peter. He can do a work like that through anybody he chooses to. And none of us are too far gone. He wants to keep working on on you. Um, so as we close, uh, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, but maybe you Maybe you want to be because you fear the thought that you will die having missed out what seems like a deal that's too good to be true. And it is. Uh, It is true in our corrupted world that there's no such thing as a free lunch. But God, with him, you get more than a free lunch. And yes, it is too good to be true. That's the point. I plead with you, give your life to Jesus so that your trials in life will be worth something. Otherwise, you'll still go through the trials anyways, and you're going to die with no more chances to change your your life to follow God. Eternally separated from God, tormented, never able to change your status before God. Maybe you're a believer and you are going through a tough time right now. I encourage you to lean further into Christ by what the scripture said a little while ago, loving, trusting, rejoicing, and receiving from him. Let him mold you during this tough time. He understands what you are going through, and he will use this to build you if you let him. Or maybe you're a Christian and all all is quiet on the Western Front for now. Rejoice in this season. This too shall pass. (laughs) Life has a way of, like I like to say, kicking you in the face. I don't want to instill fear or anxiety in you, but just learn to trust God on the mountaintop. so that way you already are when you find yourself in the valley. Or maybe you're a believer and you're better suited to teach this lesson than I am. Great. Be an example for those of us who are struggling. Teach us to overcome and endure trials while trusting in Christ. So with that said, let's just close in prayer tonight. Lord, I just ask that you would mold us, Lord, the way that you molded Peter. I ask that you would conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, just like you say in the scriptures. Guide us to accomplish what you have in store for us while here on the earth for this short time for the purpose of bringing you glory, Lord. Peter wished that grace, be, that grace and peace be multiplied to his um, audience here, and I request that grace and peace be multiplied to this church, Lord, as we go forth from this place tonight. We love you. We thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for the, word that, for the work that you're doing here, in each and every one of us, we're not perfect. Uh, we know as long as we're breathing, we're, we're not going to be, but we know you're doing your work in us, and, and I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you just help us through our trials, through our hardships, help us to be there for each other, and uh, to just use these as opportunities to draw closer to you. Lord, I also want to lift up uh, Mike and Megan and their family, Lord, while they're out vacationing. I know that they don't get an opportunity to do that, to do that a whole lot. I pray that you recharge their batteries and just be a great time, Lord, with the family, make lots of memories, and uh, that you would just uh, speak to them, Lord, spiritually while they're out there as well, back in touch with their old church. Lord, I just uh, also want to lift up Calvary Bible Institute, Peru, Trujillo, with Pastor Corey Kilgus and all the different things that's going on down there, Lord. There's a lot of work happening down there in South America. And I just pray that you just continue to push the gospel uh, further and further out and bring more people to you through their ministry. Lord, we love you. Thank you for everything that you've been doing and will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.